everyone. Welcome to Santa Clara Ventures Podcast. I'm your host, Ishan Call. Our guest today is the co-founder and chief marketing officer at OneRent. It's my pleasure to introduce Chuck Hattemer. Uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Ishan. I'm uh, really excited to join today. Yeah, absolutely. The pleasure is all mine. You know, it's absolutely great to connect with uh, people from the SU community that are going out there and, um, you know, building something. So it's absolutely great that you're here. Um, you know, so how did you make your way into the world of startups and come up with this idea for OneRent? Yeah, so uh, OneRent was founded uh, back in 2014, um, right on Poplar Street on the uh, light side of Santa Clara's uh, campus, off-campus housing. We uh, started the company out of my co-founder Rico's garage at the time, and um, we um Kind of just ran into this idea because each one of us, myself, Greg, who's our CEO, and Rico, who's our CTO, um, the three of us had had just a terrible housing experience at Santa Clara. We, um, you know, just like all you know students probably have experienced, it's a mad rush to try to get you know your favorite house on cam off campus and get your group of friends together. And what ended up happening is the three of us kind of ended in weird housing situations. Um, Rico was living out of a fake room. Uh, Greg and I, uh, we, we uh, ended up where the lease was kind of torn up and they told us, oh, the owner decided not to rent this property. And so we were faced with sort of this broken housing experience. And it turned out that all of our peers were experiencing the same problem. And, and not only was it a problem that everyone is experiencing, but it was also something that everyone was talking about. People were talking about, you know, where you're gonna live, who you're gonna live, and sharing their experiences of how poor the experience was. Um, and so we figured that was sort of a, you know, a blaring sign for uh, a problem that needed to be solved and that was important to a lot of people. So um, we actually started as a college housing, off-campus, you know, housing platform focused at Santa Clara University. And in our first year, we were able to uh, sign up and lease about 90% of the off-campus housing inventory through our platform. Um, and with that, you know, first use case, um, we, you know, we, we just bootstrapped the, the first version of the platform and, you know, went door to door, uh, signing up new customers, homeowners and property managers and they leased their, their properties through our platform. And um, that was enough of a use case for us to, to go out and raise our first round of uh, seed investment. So that's how we kind of got off uh, starting. And uh, now today, OneRent is much more than just uh, off-campus housing. We actually do full service real estate management for um, about 1,700 properties all across the West Coast uh, headquartered in the Bay Area, but extending all the way up into Seattle and down to SoCal and, and then over into Colorado as well. Wow, that's, that's absolutely amazing. I can, I can definitely vouch for that. Um, you know, off campus lifestyle is very, very hard. I remember people were camping out like, you know, 24 hours, 48 hours in advance, trying to get the best house, trying to get a house in general. So definitely was a big issue. And I'm, you know, I'm glad that somebody went out there and tackled it. So that's absolutely amazing to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you, you were kind of saying that you did this while you were being a, like, while you were a full-time student. So how were you able to balance it uh, while being a full-time student as well? Uh, so, you know, <laughs> to be honest, I'm not quite sure there was much balance. Uh, we really 
once we started realizing how uh, important, you know, this problem of housing was to people's lives, uh, that really fueled, you know, our, our desire to really work and focus on this. And um, what we found the way to balance it is, you know, we would, <laughs> we'd basically take shifts in the garage and we would organize our class schedule so that um, we would have overlap time to be able to go over there and spend, you know, multiple hours per day working on the, the project. Um, and, you know, we've figured out a way to kind of um, leverage a lot of the great resources that the Santa Clara community provides, especially through the professors at the, the business school where we were uh, taking classes. And some of those professors were instrumental in um, helping us build out, you know, our, our business plan and also help with um, figuring out things like sales and marketing and engineering and fundraising. Uh, and so we found that, you know, we were able to integrate that part of our academic life and interacting with professors with um, this business project that we were working on at the time. Uh, and then, you know, as things picked up, we, uh, we realized that uh, it wasn't possible to do both. And we made the decision that this was a once in a lifetime opportunity. Uh, we had some interest from investors. So it gave us the confidence to go and ask our parents, hey, can we you know, put school on, on pause and focus on one rent full time? And uh, they gave us the thumbs up and we, uh, we went ahead and did that. So ever since 2015, school has been on pause and it likely will continue to be. <laughs> I got you. No, I absolutely love that. Yeah, you had to obviously go and get permission from your parents to do that. But I absolutely love that, you know, just going for it. Yeah. But um, yeah, like, um, you know, obviously when you start, a, when you first start a company, right, one of the hardest things is probably coming up with that, you know, original core team and kind of figuring out what your role will be on that team. So how did you kind of go about choosing, um, you know, who will be part of the team and what roles everyone is going to be playing? Yeah. So the seed of the idea from OneRent um, really initially came from um, uh, Greg, uh, who is our CEO, and he was working on in real estate and real estate investment and development and management. And um, he was, you know, in the process of getting his real estate license. And so he's he was passionate about um, housing, and um, and so he, he, Rico, and myself, we were all in a business fraternity, uh, Alpha Kappa Psi, um, at Santa Clara. So we had known each other, and um, Rico and I had done some work together before this. I was I was running a, a kind of a marketing agency, doing web design and marketing for clients, and uh, Rico was working on a few different startup projects. Um, help you know building mobile apps in the social social and uh, local space and so Greg had the real estate mind Rico had the technology mind and then I had the marketing mind and so um, each of us from those past experiences kind of got together and and uh, divvied up the the roles and responsibilities based off of our what we were you know experienced in and passionate about and um that's how we, you know, ended up breaking down the the responsibilities. Um, and so, you know, Greg was out there um, talking to uh, new customers and doing business development and fundraising. 
Um, Rico was building the technology system and platform. And then I was helping putting together some of the sales and marketing efforts and assisting with the, uh, the product design stuff from my web design experience. So it was really just a natural fit for each of us. Yeah, I could definitely see that. It was absolutely like a perfect fit. You guys kind of just filled in all the areas that you guys needed. So, you know, actually worked out really well. But, um, you know, after you guys decided to go full time, kind of where did you guys go with it? Did you guys like get an office? How did you go about growing the company from there? Yeah. So to get one rent up and running, you know, took a few different steps. We were blessed with the opportunity to, um, to have, you know, some investors interested. And that connection actually came out of a Santa Clara University connection, um, a career counselor on campus um, named Dean Koo. He, he was uh, a career counselor and um, Rico, my co-founder, um, he's actually from Australia. And so he was in his senior year at Santa Clara and he realized, okay, wait, you know, I need to either choose a full-time job or figure out how I can make one rent into my full-time thing because, you know, that was um, part of being able to uh, remain in, in California and, and um, not have to go back to Australia after he graduated. So he went to the career counseling office and they said, um, they told him, oh, you know, everyone's all booked and too busy. Dean, the career counselor was on his way out and Rico just you know, being uh, the kind of uh, proactive guy he is, he said, hey, you just have a quick minute to talk. And uh, that talk ended up turning into a two hour discussion. And um, Dean ended up knowing a few different angel investors that um, he introduced us to. And they agreed us to agreed to give us the first round of investment. So that round of investment helped us get one run up and running. We hired our first uh, sales team and all of our initial hires were Santa Clara Broncos. They were all our friends and colleagues that um, were passionate about different things. The first team we hired was a sales team and some university representatives. And uh, you know, in uh, 2015, I think it was, we um, realized that we outgrew the garage. And, and so we got a, a small office in downtown San Jose. And uh, we, Greg, Rico, and I moved in together in an apartment just two blocks away from the office and um, asked everyone to come to the office when they didn't have classes uh, so they could work. And, and uh, that ended up working out. And so that's how we built that initial team. And we ended up growing to a team of about uh, 40 to 50 people uh, in downtown San Jose, the vast majority being um, current or former Santa Clara students. Got you. That's absolutely amazing. I love the fact that you guys, you know, started off by giving right back to the, you know, SCU community, hiring right from there. I actually had a couple of friends as well that were, that was working for one rent when you guys initially started up. So absolutely amazing. I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, for you guys, business model itself, right? It seems like you guys would need a lot of data points, I guess, you know, houses in your case. So how did you guys go about, you know, getting homeowners to list their property on your platform and also like gain enough users on the renter side to make it like a viable business? Yeah, it's a good question, Ishan. I think the, the, you know, building a, what, what we have is kind of a marketplace business and a services business and a technology business all wrapped into one. So, you know, in a marketplace business, it's always a matter of the chicken and the egg. you got the supply and the demand and which do you go get first? Do you, aggregate demand and use that to get supply or use the supply to get demand. And 
what we realize is that um, you know you need both obviously to to make a liquid marketplace and where transactions can happen quickly and smoothly and um, and in the rental market really what matters first and foremost is the supply side and and bringing on the inventory because renters will go uh, to wherever you know the best housing is and so that was our focus uh, when we started and it remains to be our focus today our primary customer is a property owner um, and it's you know someone that owns maybe one to five properties and they're individuals and uh, we found that the best way to to kind of seed that supply side was really direct sales and marketing. So we had our team, you know, at first it was myself and Greg literally knocking door to door um, around the university or figuring out who owned what property and, and going directly to their office and approaching them. And uh, we expanded that into the sales team and set up a, a direct sales and marketing team that was reaching out um, to property owners, you know, giving them a basically cold calling them and um, pitching, you know, our service and, and what the value was. And, um, you know, we, we really made an effort to um, give them personal, you know, professional service um, right from the beginning so that they know their property was taken care of. And that allowed us to start building up that inventory. And as we built up the inventory, the demand side started growing because we were listing these properties for rent and you know people were finding them online and and so over time what ended up happening is our demand started growing to a point that we could then start including that as part of our pitch to the homeowner and saying hey we've got a great network of pre-qualified renters who have already you know identified themselves as qualified prospects and um, so it ended up creating this sort of growth loop, so, so to speak, where, um, you know, the more supply we got, the more demand we got, the more demand we got, the more supply. Um, and uh, it remains to be, you know, a, that's a really important equation to keep in balance. And, um, and what we've yeah. found is that really just, uh, you know, getting that supply side built up uh, helped work. And, you know, today we still do, all, even today, you know, seven years later, we still find the direct sales and marketing approach works well for our type of product and service and uh, customer profile. Um, and then, you know, we also have about 40% of new business coming in organically because we've built up uh, some of that brand and, and demand um, locally. Got you. Yeah, no, I absolutely love that. You know, just the fact you started off with the, you know, all the cold calling and cold outreach, I think um, it's really underrated. I think it, it works very well if you, if you do it, if you do it correctly and do it with consistency. So, um, you know, I absolutely love that you guys went down that route to begin with. Um, were there any kind of um, other like special growth hacking strategies you guys might've implemented that like paid off? Yeah, I'll tell you, you know, our first customer that we got, um, was you know a big property manager nearby Santa Clara University and um, you know the the growth hack was really just using um, <clears throat> we created what we imagined the product should be like in a PowerPoint presentation so um, you know we had this PowerPoint presentation and it looked like a website and you could click on things but it would just take you to other slides in the presentation so no technical no deep technical development but a visual working prototype that we hacked together that really helped us bring on those first customers. And even though it doesn't sound like a growth hack, you know, doing cold calling and cold outreach 
especially in a business that is a little bit higher touch and you know more sensitive of a business, but you can also earn a lot more per customer. That was the hack, and and that really helped us uh, get up and running because a lot of a lot of other companies in our space um, they sort of subscribe to the build it and they will come philosophy where you know they built a great looking product, but um, they didn't have an acquisition engine feeding that product. And so uh, they built this product and they realized, wait a second, you know, we didn't figure out how to acquire the customers. And so they were just kind of waiting for customers to self sign up on the website. But um, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't natural for these types of people. They were, you know, homeowners are typically you know, 50 plus and they're busy people and they don't, um, you know, they're not as adept to just kind of signing up for a tool. So you really got to know your customer, you know, know what they care about and know what the challenges are that you might face in getting them signed up and then address that head on. And for our customers, they needed that personal touch. They wanted that personal touch and we could charge enough to cover the cost of delivering a personal touch. Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can tell you guys went down the right path. <laughs> so you guys are absolutely killing it now. So it's absolutely great to see. And, you know, like what, what were some of like the greatest challenges you guys face, you know, growing one rent and, you know, especially getting it to what it is right now. And then how did you kind of go about solving those issues? Yeah. So, you know, the, some of the biggest challenges were, um, uh, you know, that this business, the business that we are in is a highly complex um, kind of uh, service experience. Like how we, we aren't just an online tool that you can use to, you know, rent your home. We are the ones actually managing the property. So we go out into every home and we do the maintenance. Um, we have to make the tough decisions when we need to deduct stuff from the security deposits and, you know, even have to do an evictions and stuff like that. So um, we took on all that responsibility in return for a longer customer lifetime value and you know a higher revenue per customer, and so uh, and that came along with a, a whole host of ch operational challenges and um, you know really the way we addressed it is we brought in some uh, really you know great talent the people that had built out um, you know property management and maintenance operations we brought on great advisors in both the real estate space and technology space and um, learn from their experiences in you know, how to design operational processes uh, and deploy them across you know, a, a geographically distributed portfolio of properties. Um, and so those advisors and those hires that we made were key in helping us address those operational challenges. And then eventually we made the decision to um, actually take OneRent Global and set up a, um, a, an office offshore. And uh, we did that all ourselves. So my co-founder Rico actually, um, you know, it started with a couple of contractors uh, that we just found, you know, online to help us take care of some of those operational challenges like dealing with all the phone calls and emails that we were getting. Um, but eventually it turned into, hey, you know, we can do a whole host of things offshore and um, it would help us, you know, offer better prices to our customers and help us operate a little bit more efficiently and lean. Um, 
And so we ended up moving nearly all functions of the company um, to the Philippines. And Rico flew out there, set up the office. We, we took our contractor force of two people and um, set up an office there. And that team has now grown to um, about 150 people today. And so those are some of the ways in which um, we address, you know, by, by uh, figuring out, you know, a, a cost-effective and efficient business model and bringing in good talent and advisors, it helped us address a lot of the operational challenges that we face in this business. Wow, that's absolutely amazing. You know, um, going off of that, you were talking about your advisors and, you know, for, for your investments, um, you guys decided to go with more, you know, experienced individuals in the field as angel investors, such as, uh, you know, Jeff Dean and more recently Bob Moles, mm-hmm. um, you know, instead of going with traditional VC firms, um, you know, wh- why did you guys decide to go this route versus, you know, tr- the traditional VC firm? Yeah. Well, you know, first of all, venture capital is, is not for everyone. And it's, you, you know, you need to really understand it uh, and sort of what, uh, challenges and opportunities come along with it when you decide to take institutional capital. We uh, were lucky enough to be introduced to a network of um, early Google executives in the technology and legal side, including Jeff Dean, who's the chief of AI at Google. And um, this group uh, ended up being our, our first group of backers. And we found that there was a growing appetite for direct investments from high net worth uh, individuals and angel investors. And uh, today you'll find that that is the case because, you know, there's there's so much money everywhere. And um, what used to be where all, all of these people used to just be LPs and all these venture firms, a lot of them, they're still LPs in these, in these funds, but they're also, doing direct investments. And that's partly because it's easier to find investment opportunities directly. Um, it's also partly because, you know, putting your money, uh, keeping cash, like the, the interest rates are so low that um, more these funds and these high net worth individuals are being forced to um, do even more kind of venture investing directly rather than just through as an LP in a fund. Uh, because they need to move their money into into higher return categories. So um, that's that was a growing uh, kind of trend that we we caught on to. And um, again, that came through some of our connections at Santa Clara University. Uh, we brought on you know a couple uh, smaller institutional uh, investors. One was Renren, which is sort of the the old Chinese Facebook. And uh, that came through a connection at Santa Clara um, through a guy named Matt Murphy that we met there. And uh, they led our first kind of series, series seed round. So that was, uh, that's, that's why we decided to go with them is that the money was available. And uh, those people there, they felt like more partners in our business, like they were uh, very actively, you know, involved and aligned with our vision. And uh, we saw that that was going to help us in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. I think that alignment is definitely necessary. You need to make sure we're all kind of on the same boat and going towards the same goal and vision. Mm-hmm. It's definitely um, very, very important. And do you guys see yourself uh, going for more institutional funding in the future as you know you continue to grow and 
um, you know, get, get larger funding rounds. Yeah. So, you know, naturally at this point, our, our ambition is to really grow sustainably in the sense that uh, we are very close to profitability as a company and, uh, you know, months away basically from uh, profitability. And we want to have that be a key component of going forward so that, um, you know, they always say like the best time to raise capital is when you don't need the capital. Um, in practice, that's pretty hard to do because you tend to forget about fundraising if you don't need the fundraising. But um, we are in that position now where we can self-sustain our business. And, um, but with the option of taking on the right institutional partner, if they really align with our vision for the future. And, and we know that, that um, that's likely going to be the next source of funding if in fact we do raise uh, additional funding is a larger institution who can really just supercharge our growth and, um, and help you know, pour fuel on the fire um, in a much larger contribution. Because that's the downside you get with you know, going after high net worth individuals or, or smaller funds is the check sizes might be smaller your cap table is going to be a little bit more complicated and have a lot more parties involved. Um, and so, you know, getting those institutions can help you get one big check all at once. And it's, you know, just one extra person on your cap table and your board. It's not, you know, a bunch of different uh, cooks in the kitchen, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more on that part. I think uh, just sustaining that growth going forward would be very helpful with the, you know, the institutional funding, but you guys did it right going with that, those strategic advisors to begin with. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And what do you guys kind of see for, you know, your plan for the future of one rent and, you know, where do you see it in like five years? Yeah. You know, our, our thesis is that there, this market is um, extremely fragmented and it's very large. So just to give you an idea, you know, there's over 30,000 property managers um, in the in the United States. And, um, you know, there's 23 million um, rentals that um, that are, you know, operated um, in our category, there's 10 million independent landlords. And uh, the majority of them actually manage their own real estate. But our vision is that there's a generational shift happening in the real estate market. There's a new generation that is um, inheriting properties of the older generation, or there's you know the millennial home buyers and real estate investors that are getting into the market. But there's really no de facto standard for real you know managing your real estate investments. And our vision is that just like you can you know buy a book on Amazon or you can manage your stock portfolio on Robinhood you know, there, there is going to be a brand that allows people to manage their real estate investments um, sort of on autopilot, just like you would manage a stock. And, you know, we also think there's, there's a trend towards people wanting to transact on real estate, just like they buy, you know, a book on Amazon. So that sort of generational shift and consumer behavioral shift, it opens up this opportunity for a new de facto standard in the market. And our vision is that we can be that by combining technology with uh, you know, the, the human touch and a cost-effective operating model, you know, we believe that we can be really the largest uh, in the space. Um, to give you an idea, there's you know, the largest property manager in the United States is a company called Invitation Homes, um, which has 
a market cap, I want to say, you know, around 15, 16 billion. And, uh, but that business uh, was not built as a technology business. So theoretically, if you can build, you know, a, a property manager business as big as uh, Invitation Homes, for example, but with technology as a core part of the business model and business plan from the beginning, you can build a much more valuable operation. And, um, you know, to give you, to put it in perspective, Invitation Homes has about, I think about 50,000 properties across the United States, and that's less than 1% market share. So it's a huge market. And uh, our vision is that uh, since we've been building with technology from the very beginning and layering in the human aspect um, we can we can build you know the next version of invitation homes that's more uh, kind of user friendly and uh, delivers a better customer experience um, for this new generation of homeowners and and investors and um, our vision is to really become a partner for our customers like on their whole lifetime journey of real estate we want to help renters become homeowners and homeowners become real estate investors and to be there every step of the way to really be that one-stop shop for real estate. I absolutely love that. That's such an amazing vision to have, you know, absolutely amazing. And you guys are definitely going down the right path, going, uh, you know, seeing all those trends uh, emerging, absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so obviously, you know, you, you've, you've done all of this, you've taken, you know, one rent to what it is right now. So, you know, what are some tips you would give a student who's trying to start a company right now? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's a really uh, specifically right now, you know, is a tremendous time to be able to start a new company. And uh, of course, you know, there's a lot of challenges and headwinds that you may face. Um, I think oftentimes um, in those very early stages, your idea is very fragile. And, um, you know, a lot of people will get kind of stuck in that idea stage and kind of go into analysis paralysis thinking of, all the reasons why, you know, why or why not they should start. And um, what I would recommend is like, you've, you've just got to do it. Like you've just got to start um, and start to make those first steps, however fearful you may be. Um, just know that if you have identified a market that is large, you've identified a problem that is important to you personally and to other people, and one great way to look for that is look for problems that people talk about a lot with their peers or, or family or friends. Um, and so if you have the market, you have the problem, you have the, you know, the personal interest, um, then just start, you know, what we did is when we started, we, like I mentioned, we created this like PowerPoint presentation of what our product would look and feel like. It wasn't a real website. There was no technical develop that helped us get our first customers on the supply side. On the demand side, we printed out, you know, images of our of our website and app, and and literally walked into the library at Santa Clara and went around and kind of interrupted people while they're studying and put the stack of paper down in front of them and said, "Hey, press, you know, press where you would press," and that would give us the opportunity not only to do some user research but also introduce people to the the brand and the product and put them on a wait list to find out when it launched. So. You've got to get out there. You don't need to build a whole product. You know, you've got to just scrap it together and kind of fake it at first. Um, 
And then as soon as you find people that, you know, they're responding well to it, then start building and, and really make it into a reality. Um, I think that's key for, for students. And then secondly, is like, you've got to, you know, take initiative to kind of go the extra mile uh, amongst your peers or, or others that may be starting these companies in the market. So as a student, you have incredible resources all around you, like especially Santa Clara University, you have these professors that have decades of experience in Silicon Valley building technology businesses. And those professors are likely to know a lot of people who could help you fundraise, who could help you, you know, bring on strategic advisors and technology and, and business. Um, one of the great professors, John Topple, as a former uh, professor at Santa Clara University, um, had worked at HP for, you know, many years. And he was instrumental in helping us, you know, uh, help train our, our first sales team. We actually, he was moving out of his house and, and retiring. And so we traded uh, helping him move his stuff out of his house for, in return, he would give our, our sales team a presentation and training. And uh, he let us use his house for our first like video that we made. Um, so it's those sorts of initiatives and, and you know, just staying after class and introducing yourself or going to office hours when others might not, that will help you uh, get ahead and, and help fuel your, your, um, your, you know, passion for the business. Um, and you'll find that like, as soon as you have other people, a, a lot of times you'll overthink something and you'll go talk to one of these advisors or professors and they'll just make it clear as day for you. So those are some of the tips I would say is get out there, just start and, and um, start talking to people who are your customers, even if it's with a fake product to start with. And then two is use the resources you have around you um, the, and don't get stuck in, you know, analysis paralysis. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more there. You just gotta, you just gotta start and keep going, you know, just keep improving as you're, as you're going about it, but figure it out while you're doing it. Don't, don't just think about it, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, thank you so much for all those insights. Now we're going to move over into more of the personal questions here. And, you know, th this first one's always one of my favorites. I always love asking, you know, what's your favorite book and why? Yeah. So I read this great book last year called The Black Jacobins. Um, and uh, it's about the, um, the kind of only successful slave, re slave revolt in history. It's, the it's about the uh, Haitian slave revolt. Um, I, I believe back in the, what was it, the yeah, 1700s or so, 1700s, 1800s. And uh, it tells a story, you know, about this revolt and why it was successful, who are the people behind it. And it's really inspirational story um, that is actually cited in a couple of the books by uh, Ben Horowitz. Um, and the reason why, it, you know, I, it really left an impression on me is that it kind of spoke to what you need to make, you know, a revolutionary movement possible. And it all starts with the culture, you know, that you're building and the way that you're behaving, sort of what's your code of conduct for how you run things. And um, for example, you know, one of the, one of the, this kind of elements of why this revolt was successful is um, when they were revolt, when the slave revolt was happening, they ended up, um, you know, when they were, when they kind of 
uh, were faced with a slave owner that they were able to uh, free, you know, the slaves that they had, they let that slave owner retain ownership of their land. But of course, they, you know, on the condition that they freed the slaves. And it's sort of small decisions like that, that help set the tone for um, what the culture is going to be like. And I think that's important um, because, you know, once your business gets going and start running and you start growing, it's hard to change the culture. And so you got to start from the beginning with that sort of code of conduct and, and everything. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely a new book. I have not heard of that one. So I'll definitely have to check that out. I've got like a growing list of books I need to read. I really need to start getting on top of that. But thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, for the next question, you know, what habits do you think are most useful to develop, you know, just for a successful life or a successful career? Yeah. Um, you know, I think one, one great habit is like anytime that you are uh, meeting with someone that could be strategically, you know, helpful to you in business, you know, with the purpose of maybe bringing them on as an advisor or investor, um, you know, when you are meeting with them, um, always try to do one sort of extra effort thing that can leave, a, you know, an impression on that person, whether it's asking that question that you may feel a little bit uncomfortable to ask, you know, asking them for help or to join as an advisor, um, and making like kind of pushing yourself to make, turn that into a habit, um, will help leave an impression on all the people that are, you know, that you interact with in business. And, um, those people will remember you and they, they, they will, it'll help build a relationship that, um, will help both of you throughout your careers. So I think that's like a habit is, you know, don't just let a meeting end, uh, saying, okay, I'll just follow up later, like get, you know, get in your ask, be direct and, and transparent every time. And then, um, you know, also like develop a cadence for, um, you know, how much time and effort you put it, put into um, your work, make sure that you understand sort of the ex expectations that you need to set with family and friends. Um, because you're going to be busy. Uh, and, you know, a lot of times, the best way to survive when starting a business is just to outwork other people. And uh, you're going to have to build that into your habits is like put a lot of hours into it. Um, so I would say those are some some habits to, to build in. Got you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And, um, you know, what do you like doing while you aren't working, you know? Yeah, well, uh, you know, I, I love to um, be outdoors and I, I think uh, you can kind of get a lot of uh, answers to all the big complex questions in your head, but just by going on some long walks or hiking. So I love to do that. I love to throw the Frisbee around. I've, I've uh, been throwing a Frisbee with for years and I, I love doing that. And uh, yeah, and I, and I think those are probably the, the big ones. And, you know, any opportunity I can get, I love to go on a road trip, go see some of the great national parks that this country has to offer. And, um, and you know, spending that time with family is, is really important too. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. It's, uh, it's amazing. I, I definitely love those long walks. Really good for just clearing the head and just getting some fresh air. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, well, What's one of like the most surprising facts you've learned about yourself? 
yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Um, I guess the, you know, what's surprising to me is how passionate I, I have found myself to be in kind of the world that is built around us. Um, you know, I, I actually, before one ran, you know, I was into marketing and, you know, I was into business running my own business, but I uh, was really into filmmaking. And um, I always, you know, thought that, you know, I was just going to kind of be doing this like creative filmmaking stuff. But um, I realized that like, the thread that connected film to what I do today is like a really deep uh, uh, like passion for um, affecting kind of people's lives. Like with a film, you can send people into a dark room for two hours and they walk out with a changed perspective on the world. And with real estate, this is like house, housing is where we spend most of our lives. And even now we spend even more of our lives. And so that ability to like have an impact on people and like my interest, like, and now I'm just like way more interested in like architecture and like infrastructure zoning, you know, when I'm driving around San Jose and seeing all these random, like dilapidated buildings, I'm always looking up who owns this and who owns that. So um, like finding those interesting threads that connect you from maybe your own personal non-business interests into like your business interests that's, I think, uh, really enlightening and has been one of the coolest things that I've realized about myself. Absolutely. That's, that's amazing to hear. Um, th this can be our final question. And to get on this one, um, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? The best piece of advice I've ever received. Um, I think, I think that the, like, uh, one of the, so, okay. I think it comes back to what I was saying earlier when you're asking about like tips for students starting a company. One of the best pieces of advice came from uh, one of my Santa Clara professors, John Topple. And we went into like one of those office hour sessions and you'd contact him ahead of times. And we were trying to think about this whole business plan and you know, what, what this was, what it was gonna look like. And this was actually for a business idea before one rent, it was a drone company when drones were getting popular. That's that's another one of my hobbies is drones. Uh, and um, one of the best pieces of advice that he gave to me was like, just get out there. And he told a friend of mine, Matt and I, that uh, get out there and just start knocking on doors. Like start, just go to your neighbor, go to the neighborhood, start knocking on doors and offer them, hey, uh, would you let us inspect your roof with a drone for 40 bucks? and uh, see, you know, how many people respond. And just like, it's that piece of advice uh, coming from someone that had worked for, you know, 20 years at HP uh, being an executive, you would expect him to have like a way more detailed like business plan piece of advice, but he just really simplified it down to that. And the reason why that was so important is not only to kind of figure out your business model, but also to just start to feel what it was like to like have people willing to pay for something that, that you came up with. And that feeling, once you start to get it, it just, it's like wildfire and it spreads. So um, that, that was one of the best pieces of advice I've ever received. Absolutely. That's some amazing advice right there. Absolutely. <laughs> love that. <laughs> it's simple, but it's, it's, it's what we needed to hear at the time. 
Yeah, absolutely. Most of the best advice is definitely very simple. It's, it's so counterintuitive, right? You would expect it to be some, you know, long, like deep explanation. It's usually just the simplest things that would just never reach us, you know? Yeah. Exactly. It's absolutely amazing. Knock on doors. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Hey, thank you so much for coming on today, Chuck. It was absolutely amazing chatting with you today. Ishan, thank you, man. I, uh, thank you for having me on and go Broncos. Absolutely. Go Broncos. Thank you so much for listening to our show today. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe to Santa Clara Ventures on Spotify and our anchor page. Please feel free to message us some questions that you want answered in our following podcast episodes. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you join us again for our next episode.